Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Yeah, right. If anybody thought, if anybody thought that I was going to go into a cold shower at five past six this morning, in that, are you off your heads, lads? Not on your life. Not if Keith Barry himself came down and pushed me into it or hypnotized me into not a hope maybe tomorrow maybe another day but not today good morning 1850 the number the text and whatsapp 083 396 96 the email opinion at 96fm.ie Michal Martin telling us what we kind of knew or at least those of us who looked at this with a sensible eye and said, you know what, we cannot come out of this a day early. If we come out of this a day early, we'll be back in the same trouble we were in three weeks ago. So we'll hear more later in the hour about what Taoiseach has been saying this morning. He's given some extensive interviews on the national media. We'll hear more of that a little bit later in the hour. He's been asked, among other things about St. Patrick's Day. He hasn't been invited yet uh, by Joe Biden uh, uh, for St. Patrick's Day. And if he does go, he'll have to be vaccinated. And I think he realises that. That's just one of the things that we'll be hearing from the Taoiseach a little bit later on this morning. Also, some good news for you. This uh, damp and cold and horrible Thursday is that, of course, you know, it's Valentine's Day on Sunday. So we start a four-day giveaway on the opinion line today uh, with thanks to our friends at the Clayton Hotel. I'll be telling you more about that. We have a prize today, a prize tomorrow, a prize Monday and a prize Tuesday with our friends at the Clayton Hotel. A very nice prize too that you can take whenever the hotels are open again. But uh, first of all, this morning, I want to go uh, to Sean. And Sean, my, my sincere condolences to you uh, on, on the loss of your dad. When did he pass away? Um, he actually passed away on Friday evening at quarter to nine. Okay. Was it, was it COVID? Yes, it's COVID related, yes. He was um, actually in a home at the time and he tested positive on the Saturday, the week previous, and six, day later, six days later he was taken. Okay. Well, sincere condolences to Thank you. you. And, and to your family and friends, it, it's, it's a terrible time. What, what happened to you subsequently? Okay, so um, I suppose I just wanted to bring a bit of awareness to the, the Matter Private the Underground Car Park in the Matter Private Hospital. 
Right. I had a knee appointment with the orthopaedic. This is the one in um, Mahan now, isn't it? Which is by Mahan Point, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, so I was waiting for a knee appointment for the last five years, so I had to take it. I got an appointment on Tuesday, so obviously my mind wasn't with it. So I went to park in the underground car park, um, which parked in a space, didn't take any notice, um, went into my appointment. When I came back out, my car was after being clamped. So I said I'd ring the phone number what was on the windscreen. Um, so I rang the lady, I got through to the lady, and she. I told her my circumstances. I said, look, I apologise. You know, I actually parked in the wrong area. Um, I didn't see the signage. Um, and basically, look, my father passed away, and um, I apologised. And she said, look, you have to pay the €125 Euro fine for to get the clamp removed. Um, she goes, but look, there's an appeal that you can appeal and it'll be taken into count on compassionate yeah. grounds. This is the the company called, well, everyone calls them APOCA, but it's A-P-C-O-A is the name of the parking company. Yes, APGOA, I think it is. Yeah, um, yeah. So yes, I rang and she said that to appeal it, that the only way I would get the clamp removed from from the car, obviously, is to, to pay it. So I paid um, and he came and he removed the clamp and I um, appealed it and I received a letter back saying they had taken into consideration my what what had happened um, but basically the, the, the appeal was declined basically right. um, and I suppose I just wanted to make people aware because there was, after I was there there was another four people within 20 minutes parked in those spaces um, and couldn't didn't realise that they were parking illegally basically, because the signage is very blended into the background, yeah. and you can't really see it. Mm. Can I ask what you actually put into your letter to the company? Um, I just explained my circumstance, saying that, look, my focus wasn't obviously there, because my, my, my father passed, and we buried him on Sunday. Um, I wasn't thinking straight. Um, I, like, I work in a residential home myself, so I never park illegally, never have, um, I did this time, it was my mistake, but I think, the, I suppose just to make people aware that it's €125 Euro, um, and you can't see the signage. Um, yeah, I wouldn't I, have I been aware, actually, uh, now that you mention it to me, uh, Sean, that, that that particular car park, and I, I haven't been there for a while down there for an MRI, actually in the same hospital myself, maybe 12 months ago. I wasn't aware that uh, Apoca were were in charge of that car park. Yes, it's only certain uh, parking bays there. They have little hanging signs, I suppose, over the, 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 the parking spaces. But the size of the sign itself, it's not really highlighted. It's not, not, not visible enough for yeah. people to recognise. Um, and look, 125 euro is a lot of money oh, to some people in these It's a lot of money to anyone, yeah. And the fact that you, you have know. to up with it on the spot, like, yeah. Yes, and you have to come up with a stop up on the spot or else they won't remove the camp. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you have enough to be dealing with now with the cost of of yes, Dad's funeral look, and all of that. And, look, uh, with all the costs, look, and look, for me, look, it's not going to break the bank, but um, I know other people um, in the circumstances they're in at the moment, um, 125 euro is a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a bit steep, and when it's not highlighted the way it should be, I think it's a, it's a bad form out of them. Yeah. Uh, you sent us in your your uh, the response that you got. It says thanks for your original appeal received on ninth of the second. 
regarding the above detailed immobilisation notice. We have reviewed the case and consider the comments that you've made. The appeal has been considered in conjunction with the evidence gathered by the Enforcement Office. Our records show the notice was correctly issued as your vehicle was parked in breach of the rules and regulations of the site. As per the rules and signage in this site, uh, you must register your vehicle details with reception, therefore we're unable to grant your appeal. So, in other words, what they're saying there is, well, look, we have read what you say, but at the end of the day, the rules is the rules. Sorry, which sounds a bit, you know. Which is a bit, yeah, a bit rich, I think, a bit much. Um, look, I was parked illegally and uh, and I apologised in the letter I sent them mm-hmm. for that because I, I was parked illegally in that space, but I suppose that another four people came along and I actually told them, look... If you park here, you're going to get a fine as well. And they didn't realise themselves that that area was... You were going to the matter private, but these parking spots, I think, were for the Sims IVF clinic. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, So, in other words, because you were going somewhere other than the Sims IVF clinic, that was why you were clamped at the time. If, basically, if I pulled two spaces down, I wouldn't have been fined, basically. Yeah. And and I th- you must have been quite upset on the phone to the the company. And I think the, wom- well, the phone the woman on the phone was quite pleasant. Was she? She was okay. She's very nice. No, yeah. The the the, the woman, I suppose the woman on the phone led me to believe that on compassionate grounds that I probably would receive my money back. Um, I can't say a bad word about her. She was she was very nice. Um, and I just wrote the appeal that day then and I got that letter back the following day so yeah. it was quite upsetting at the time I suppose because I didn't want to be there in the first place but I had to take the appointment because um, I've been waiting for the last five years for the appointment for my God. niece so, so yeah, there is another stage you can go isn't there it gives the op- the option to take what they call a second stage appeal and that goes all the way up to the National Transport Authority would you have would you consider that? I'd consider this. Um, I look to be honest. I, uh, I'd rather make people aware. I think uh, they should update their signs realistically. Um, just highlight them better that people don't get caught there. Yeah. Um, look, I'll survive. One hundred twenty, as I said, one hundred twenty-five euro. Not going to break the bank, but just the worst possible but, time for it to happen. Like yes, yes. I was quite upset at the time. I suppose I've had I've had twenty-four hours, about over twenty-four hours, forty-eight hours to get over it again I yeah. presume but at the time I was, I was pretty upset obviously with everything that was going on in my life yeah. at that time This was only what two days after your dad? Two days after burying my dad yes yeah. less than two days even so yes it was quite a hard time as it was yeah. what, was it, what was his name Sean what? Oh. Um, Dennis Dennis what was, um, yeah. what was he like? Dennis oh, he's a very hard working man loving he, he gave look he gave us everything yeah. um he, he he left behind um, a massive family, so I tried to take the positives from his death and rather celebrate his life rather than, I suppose, think of the negative side of it. Um, so he left a big family and we've loads of photographs of him, yeah. So, yeah, look, it's, it's tough. It's quite, quite raw at the moment. Still, and so and when you take that kind of... I don't appreciate that. When you take that kind of, I want to take the positives of his life, that's a mindset you put yourself in, and then this happens. Yes, and it took me back a bit. It took me back a bit. Um, but look, as I said, I'm over it now. I've Good had time man. to digest it. And that, and Are you going to try that second appeal, Sean? I'll send a letter again to the second appeal and see what 
what comes back okay. and... Well, let, let me know what they say, will you? I will, of course, PJ. All right, and, uh, you know, the, the, be with be be with your loved ones now and, you know, mind uh, yourself, be good to I yourself. Because, uh, you know, three years ago, three years ago, I was kind of where you are now a few days on and it's hard. And it it's a, and the exhaustion will hit you. I'll give you a bit of war, a bit of advice, man to man. Do okay. you know that when all of the initial stuff dies down, you will be more exhausted mentally and physically than you have ever been in your life. Yes, yes. Rest. I understand that. Yeah. Rest. I understand. Okay, and be kind to yourself. Yeah, I will. All right, dude. All right, thank you very much. Take care, man. Thank you, and we'll talk to you again. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. 1850-715-996. He admits he broke the rules. I can see the messages coming in about breaking the rules and knowing the consequences. He knows that. But he explained on the phone, he was in tears on the phone. They said, the woman said, very pleasant to him, she said, look right in, explain your situation. He did just that. And they turned him down. He's going to go try the secondary route. And whatever happens, we don't know. He, he let us know. He let us know. But um, compassion seems to be in short supply. Yeah. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See motors.ie. Is Navin in Cavan? No, Demi, this just rhyme. Navin is in Mead. Cavan is a county. So what is the city in Navin? Are you being serious right now? It's a town, it's not a city. Wait, hold on. Who was your geography teacher? I knew Again. geography. <laughs> that explains everything. <laughs> so good. Lorraine and Demi. Lorraine and Demi. Live. If you want to hear me try to figure out what's going on in Demi's brain, Saturdays. Tune in to us to see what else Demi figures out. <laughs> Lorraine and Demi. Live. Saturdays, 2 to 6 p.m. On the best music mix. Corks 96 FM. This is Corks Gold. Imro award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833969696. On Corks 96 FM. Mentioned that the Taoiseach has given uh, quite a lengthy interview, or a couple of them, to national media this morning, uh, with certain issues coming up in all of them, one of them being vaccines. Uh, he was asked if the target now of having 70% of the population vaccinated by September was gone. We hear, Didn't we read last evening, that now they're hoping to have the over-70s done by June. June, like. Initially, we heard early May. Now, June. Which means if they don't move out of that bracket until all the over-70s are done, then there's no way in the wide earthly world that they'll get to 70% by September. Or will they? That's one of the matters he's been asked about. Uh, this morning. Well, we keep that as a target. I mean, there's a seesawing and, um, in terms of vaccine supplies. Uh, and I think, you know, we've had setbacks. We don't control it. Um, but uh, in my view, quarter two will still be a significant quarter and so will quarter three. So um, we can already... 
begin to see in the UK and even in terms of our own numbers here, that as the vaccination program is rolled out in hospitals, for example, and in nursing homes, that you get a reduction um, in, in, in mortality and severe illness. So I, I, I think we, we will be in a better position come the autumn. And I think we, given hopefully and there's no, nothing to suggest to the contrary that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine will be coming on board in early April yeah. um, and that will add a significant uh, weapon to the armory as well and the number of vaccines we will have and other vaccines will come on stream. Okay. So I'm hoping also that maybe that the manufacturers can look uh, in a more expansionary mode in terms of in, in upping capacity, uh, in terms okay. of manufacturing capacity. See, there's nothing clear in that. There's an awful lot of fudging and ifing and button and going on and, and really... I was confident personally that I'd be getting my first jab sometime around middle of May, given my age and my state of health. Now, I'm anything but sure when I'll be getting it. And for people like Carol Rumley, whose story is on the Echo this morning, this must be even more worrying. Carol, good morning to you. Good morning to you. You are on dialysis three times a week and you go to hospital for it. Where That's do right. you presently stand on the vaccine priority list? Like, when, when, where do you think you might you might be considered? Well, hopefully, the sooner the better. We're down at number seven. I mean, it's it's very low. We didn't. We thought we'd be a lot higher than that. You know, mm. it's it's very frustrating. It's and it's frightening for us. You know, mm. to be to be waiting so long. Like it's it's just it's just awful. You know. Yeah. Like. Being down at number seven, if we were to go on the original plan, you, you should have been getting your vaccine or your first jab at least by April at the latest. Yes, yes at the latest, yes. yes. Doesn't look anything like that now, though. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. No, no. And what are the doctors saying to you at CUH? Obviously, you're asking them about, about it. Well, sure, you know, they're rallying as much as they can, you know. I mean, it's... You know, it's just, it's just awful, like, you know. Tell me about your situation. You're 53 and you're, you kid, are you waiting on a transplant or is it yes, just that you I'm have to Yes, I'm waiting on this? a transplant. Yes, I am. I have a lot of um, high antibodies, so that would make me kind of a harder case, you mm. know. But um, they've come up with a treatment in, in Beaumont that would help to reduce those. So uh, there's been a few patients already that have been transplanted, but... I'm still waiting, you know, so... Yeah. yeah. You, you had a, a transplant that didn't take, isn't that right? Correct, yes, that's right. When, had, when was I, that? Oh, that was back... Oh, my goodness, I'm... I'm <laughs> uh, I suppose, what, the 90s? I, right. I, I can't really give a correct date so long ago, yeah, like, yeah, you know, sure, but... Sure, um, technology it has only changed lasted so much. Uh, a fortnight anyway. And, oh, God. Um, yeah. So yeah, so uh, talk to me about your, like is is this a dialysis day now? Uh, no, it's not. No, no, no. no so no. tell me about a dialysis day. What happens? Well, a dialysis day. I suppose I I go in uh, Monday Monday evening, uh, Wednesday evening, and Saturday morning. Uh, well, I suppose it's uh, I, I'm on a machine for four hours, <laughs> and um, I'm with other. Uh, other patients, we, you know, we have a very good relationship, and um, like it's, you just have to go in, like, and get it done, and you know, it's, uh, sure, it's, it's hard going, like, but I suppose you just keep 
keep plodding along. And how you know? do you feel before it and how do you feel after it? Just for people who wouldn't get it, like this, okay, is, this, is, um, this is your lifeline. Yes, yes it is. Um, well, I suppose like leading up to it, you'll be kind of feeling a bit tired, you know. Um, but I suppose um, you, you just you just feel kind of, you know, a bit um, kind of un, not great until you get the dialysis and, mm. and then you feel you feel much better, yeah. you know? Yeah. 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 And I think your big fear, isn't it, Carol, is despite the best efforts of everybody in the in the unit, and, and they are working flat out to make sure it stays completely yes. sterile and COVID-free. Yes, yeah. and they're doing a fantastic job, yeah, I may add that. Your yes. dread fear is picking this up. Yes, it is. It is. Yeah, it's a, it's a constant worry. You know, you have enough to deal with. Mm. Not a mind thinking of this as well, you know. Yeah, it, it is. It is a worry. It is. It is because yeah. I mean, if we get it, it it would be it would be very serious for us, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Because it it, it would almost certainly land you in hospital, and it would. It would. Yes. It would. It would. It yeah. would. Yeah. yeah. You've managed you to. Know. You've managed to avoid it so far. Thanks be to God. Yeah. yeah. Have you been? <laughs> are you true. pretty much cocooning besides the trip up for the? More or less. Yeah. Yes. More or less. Yeah. Yeah. You getting sick and tired of it at this stage? Well, sure. I suppose everybody is. No matter what, you know, I think everyone, no matter what uh, background they're from, I mean, the, you know, yeah. it is, um, it is, we just thought that it would be after finishing a lot sooner, like, but it seems to be going on and on, like, you know. Yeah. Only yeah. just hoping every day, like, that you won't get it, like, you know, just to... Yeah. And, and have know, the staff who treat you in the unit, have they had their jabs? Yes, they have. Yes. At least that, that, I suppose that's a sense of relief, isn't it? That like, at well, least... it is, it is. And it's yeah. for them as well, you know, yeah. but uh, I must say they're, they're doing a great job trying to keep us safe. You know, they're, they're great in there, you know. Yeah. And are they still having to wear all the PPE even though yes, they've been they jabbed? Are. Yeah. They are, yes, they are, they are, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough going. Some people can do their dialysis at home. That's not an option for you, no? Well, I, I did do it that way. But um, I was picking up a lot of infections, mm. and uh, then I had to come on the the hemodialysis. Yes, right, right, which is hospital based. Correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And of course, the transplant you'd have to go obviously for special treatment before that. And all that. But the transplant role, uh, the rollout of transplants, is all slowed down by this as well. Where we seem to be hundreds of transplants behind schedule now at this stage. That's right. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Um, yeah, it's really after slowing up the process, all right, yeah, yeah. Okay, so if you were to be able to speak to, and you've heard the Taoiseach there talking about vaccines, if you were to be able to speak to the Taoiseach or to Minister Donnelly, Minister for Health, like what would you, what would you say to them this morning? Well, I just say like that is, you know, just to try and, you know, bring us up further up the list because it's it's just, it's just awful for for us, you know, and for transplant patients as well that have been transplanted, you know, I mean. We're just terrorised, you know. It's it's just it's just awful. Mm. You, you, don't, you don't even go shopping now, do you? Very little. Yeah, yeah. It must be it must feel terrible to know that 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 this this wonderful piece of science is there in a needle yeah. that could take all of this pressure or at least I a know. great deal it of it is, off yeah. of you. It is. It's it's. <laughs> 
I don't know, it's, it's just terrible, you know. It's just awful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, Carol, listen, look after yourself, OK? Thank you very uh, much. Here's hoping that they will be able to, to do more. We know that we've got, at the moment, thank you, Carol, Rumley in, in West Cork. We've got Pfizer Moderna is out there. That's the first one we got. Then no, Pfizer BioNTech, then Moderna. Now AstraZeneca is out there. They're supposed to have Johnson & Johnson coming in the next month to six weeks. We know that the Russian one, Sputnik, is, is, is a kitty by all accounts, but whether we have any plans in Europe to buy that. Michal Martin has insisted point blank that we won't be buying from other sources, even though we could. And your one von der Leyen over in Europe, mind you why she still has a job after that cock-up on Article 16 is beyond me. But besides that, anyway, she didn't make, she didn't inspire a lot of confidence yesterday, fluting on about the EU and vaccines. So where are we going? 1850-715-996. The Taoiseach has also been talking about the restrictions and where they're going. They're going nowhere until Easter at least. We'll hear that bit in just a sec. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96 FM. Hi, it's Elmerie. Each week we bring you the latest news from our vibrant and creative communities all around Cork. Whether it's tips for the best live gigs online, new initiatives from Cork's writers and musicians, join Elmerie Mall and Connor Tallon as we work to support and keep the arts alive in Cork. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes Cork. Fresh flowery and full of taste. It's at the root of what we do. On Corks 96 FM. Corks 96 FM. Now, newspapers this morning full of, I suppose, gloom. Uh, you could say facts and you could say the right thing will be done and we're taking the right actions. It doesn't make it any easier, I guess. The Irish Times says prolonged period of lockdown ahead. That was the Taoiseach reporting, or the report was they'd said that to his parliamentary party meeting Wednesday evening. The UK variant of COVID-19 has resulted in numbers, he said, remaining stubbornly high. And he said Ireland will remain in a prolonged period of lockdown. Fianna Fáil College predicted could last up to the beginning of May. At least Easter is what we are hearing uh, this morning. Uh, at least Easter with the exception, possibly, of building and of schools, and more on that in a while. But here's what he had to say this morning about the restrictions and whether and when and how they might be eased. In the first instance, we do have numbers down to very low levels, and particularly hospitalizations, the number of people in hospital and the numbers of people in intensive care, because a key objective is to relieve the pressures on our frontline healthcare workers uh, for a prolonged period, and for, we don't ever want to go back to the high levels that we experienced uh, during the third wave. And in addition to that, we have a vaccination rollout. So I certainly think from the next period onwards, certainly to Easter, we're, we're looking at a significant high level of restrictions. We want to 
um, have a, a phased return to schools. Uh, we are obviously prioritising construction, particularly house building, given the social crisis that exists in relation to housing and homelessness and the necessity to build more houses. Um, and we will, uh, as a government, uh, in the week commencing the 20th of this month, um, bring greater clarity uh, to, to, to this issue uh, as we refresh and, and, and revise um, our plan in terms of living with COVID. But Is it just me? Or, or, or does he sound like he has no idea what's coming? None. Does he sound like he's hoping and praying that come the 22nd or 20th or 24th, they'll have something they can tell us? Because there's no certainty there. None at all as to what's happening. The only thing we can tell... We said it here on this programme. We said it when we went into Level 5 at the start of January. And when we were talking about the huge surge in numbers and the huge surge in ICUs and the huge surge in the hospitals, we said it on the opinion line that if we're out of this by Easter, we'll get out of it by the skin of our teeth by Easter. We're stuck with this until Easter, at least. And I'm going to make a prediction here and now that it'll be the May weekend or past it before anything substantial happens. Because I think he talks about suppression. He's talking more and more about suppression of the virus. That's the only positive thing he's saying. Suppression, suppression, suppression. Prolonged suppression. He won't use the elimination word. Because that sounds like he's giving in to zero COVID. Which of course they're not going to give in to zero. But if he's talking about prolonged suppression. We're looking at the, the May weekend. We might as well say. 1857 And of course there'll be nobody going on a foreign holiday this year. None. You can forget that. My worry is that, and I expressed it openly here, and if I had any one of them on the end of the phone or sitting opposite me or whatever, I'd put it to them straight away. Will we or will we not be able to even go to Kerry or go to Clare or go to Galway or go to Sligo or God between us and all harm, go to the north for our holidays this year? Will we even be able to leave our county for a holiday this year, let alone go foreign because it looks very much as if we're going to be under our 5k rule until at least Easter 1850 now the schools the special schools and the special classes they start to go back today and they'll be rolling back over the next couple of weeks but there's already a big hurdle in the road called the midterm break Lorraine Dempsey is interim CEO of Inclusion Ireland morning Lorraine Morning, PJ. What is happening um, today? Okay, so just to be clear on the date, so today only children in special schools will be returning at 50%. So that means that maybe half of a class might be returning today and tomorrow, and then the next group might be in uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, next week. Um, other schools are taking a whole week off for midterm break, so there's a kind of further disruption. And some schools are alternating every second day. Now, look, you, you know yourself, like, the challenges that in itself can cause with disruption for a child so it's really not ideal um on monday the 22nd then there was um up until yesterday morning there was agreement that just uh special classes in mainstream schools mainstream primary schools would open at full capacity so that's generally about six children in a class Mm. um and the idea with that is look they'd have an empty school building they could you know kind of use different rooms around the school for social distancing and activities um and then last night finally we got agreement with the post-primary unions the 
TUI, um, the ASTI and Forza that uh, special classes in mainstream post-primary schools would also open from the 22nd of February. Now, that still leaves thousands of children um, who have special educational needs and maybe complex disabilities in mainstream yeah. who, you know, look, it's not an issue for them if they're able to work well remotely, but for the children that aren't, um, you know, this is still an ongoing issue that we need to see some planning and movement mm. and dates um, to be agreed for getting those and everybody back to school, I suppose, is the idea situation but you know there's still an issue there where we're not catering for everybody's needs. Are, are all of the midterm breaks on next week? There was some confusion about that isn't there? Sure so there's kind of a almost like a mandatory midterm break which would be Thursday and Friday at the end of next week but some schools traditionally would have taken a week off and then maybe later on around maybe the June bank holiday they would have had two days off and some schools would have two days off next week and a week off for the June bank holiday so that's at the discretion of the schools you know but the majority would be closed for Thursday and Friday. I do know that some special schools with agreement with their own staff they waived the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday dates so that they could be able to provide uh, you know a bit more continuity for children at that kind of 50% two days a week three day a week split um, you know my own daughter's part of the day as well and uh, you know she'll go in for two days but she won't be back for over a week and then she'll have three days and she won't be back for another week so we really do need these arrangements to be extremely short term and to be looking for 100% capacity in our special schools and, and you know and moving on to then attending to the needs of children in mainstream primary and post-primary schools as well. How, how is your own daughter dealing with it? How old is she? Um, she's 17, PJ. She'd have intellectual and physical disabilities and I suppose, you know, what we you know, from the closures in March in the first couple of weeks, it was kind of you know, we were uh, uh, really anxious but you know, she was excited she was at home and she had her Netflix and, and Disney and these are the things that she likes but um, what we saw fairly soon after about the first month passing kind of changes in her behaviour we, we would never really have seen you know, any kind of form of aggression or frustration from her and that just started emerging and her sleep was disturbed and she was up, you know, a few more times in the middle of the night so look, you know, that was taking its toll and trying to get on with the daytime things and disrupted sleep and we did start to see things that we'd never seen in her before. Now look I know people have been arguing that oh well if only they had services, you know disability services then you wouldn't need to be reopening schools but look we were fortunate enough that we had input from psychology, OT, speech and language right mm. throughout um, the pandemic trying to support this change and it really didn't make a significant dis- difference her. What she actually needed was the structure of her school day where every 10 to 15 minutes they could change to something else to keep her attention and motivation look we simply couldn't replicate that in our household with other children and work and and juggling the same as most families around the country and going back to school in September to December it didn't change what had kind of bedded in over the first couple of months. Mm. So, you know, we're seeing that right across the country. Inclusion Ireland would have done two surveys um, during last year and then kind of later on in October, we would have done a joint survey with Down Syndrome Ireland and As I Am and ourselves um, to see how children were coping with the closures and the return to school. And, you, you know, the like we have, kind of, you know, concrete statistics there from, you know, a high volume of children that couldn't really engage remotely, um, you know, with all those learning platforms that were there seesaw and packs being dropped out. It just simply wasn't feasible for some children. We also know that 10% of children didn't miss school and they did quite well uh, out of school with remote learning versus maybe, um, you know, the 
the social and psychological anxieties associated with being in a school building as well. Um, you know, so there was a mixed bag, but, you know, there was about 80% who just couldn't engage properly. And there needs, you know, some schools were sending an email a week, other schools were engaging in, uh, you know, one or two Zoom sessions every day, uh, dropping out boxes of resources where, you know, you had people who had no access to broadband, no access yeah. to devices, um, you know, traveller so, children. So, so many variables there. So many Absolutely. different... But I suppose at the end of the day too, Lorraine, you have to look at the reality of balancing all those various needs and all those variables. You've got to look at the reality of trying to balance those with the implications of a global pandemic and the severe infection rate in the community. So it's, there's no simple answer here. Yeah, but when you look at, um, you know, public health advice, I suppose uh, there was a, a message from public health that was being sort of latched onto, particularly post-Christmas, that everybody had to stay at home. This is what we were being told yeah. by Tony Holohan. Well, in fact, everybody was to stay at home except those that were deemed to be essential workers. Uh, you know, we were all staying at home to support those that absolutely needed to be working face-to-face with people. And our argument as an organisation was that children with disabilities and special educational needs who could not engage remotely and were suffering adversely as a result, they needed to be prioritised. So we weren't talking about, you know, opening up pubs and restaurants first. Or We were really saying that, you know, essential workers, teachers and SMAs should be deemed essential workers to support those that simply could not engage at home where there was a detrimental impact on the child. And it yeah. was always through the child's perspective. Yeah. Um, so that is balancing up the, the risk of, you know, major regression for a child. Um, and again, can I personally demonstrated how what happened between March and June, even with input, wasn't resolved when we did finally go yeah. back to school. It's still with us, you know. So the balance of risks was what we were looking at the whole time as an organisation. But I think the public and maybe teachers themselves, you know, w- with fear, weren't were going, no, no, we've been told by Tony Holland we should stay at home. Well, there, there was it, a lot of teacher bashing or attempted teacher bashing on this programme and SNA bashing on this programme last month, which which I just won't take that from anybody. But it's not coming from you and your organisation either. No, absolutely not, PJ. Look, you know, we're very realistic about what could be done, but what we were looking for the whole way along is that the department would have taken responsibility for developing contingency plans, things that they could take off the shelf for a future lockdown, and we would still argue that process needs to happen so that there could be a tentative agreement that, okay, plan B, plan A, plan B, plan C, there's a tentative agreement that should this scenario arise, we can get together quite rapidly, uh, fully agree and roll out an alternative um you know, plan. And that simply, that still hasn't happened, PJ. And I think the ministers and the department really need to look at this. We, you know, we're now hearing that we potentially could be in, you know, future lockdowns as issues around the vaccine and a new variant. So, like, we need to be realistic that we may be in this position again, and we need to have an appropriate resource there for the children where you know, have had a detrimental impact yeah. by not being able to engage remotely with education. Okay, so it starts today with uh, special schools uh, back 50%. Thank you, Lorraine. Lorraine Dempsey, Interim CEO of Inclusion Ireland. Starting today with special schools and only 50% capacity. And then after the 22nd, after the midterm break, it's special classes. It's it, But it's not everybody and they're not all included. And the kids who, with additional needs who are in mainstream school, we still don't know what's happening for them. 1850 Sheila says there should be no midterm breaks or other breaks from now on 
until they've caught up. They've missed a load of schooling and it needs to be made right, whatever deal the government has to make to do it. Yeah, well, mid, I, I would only when I looked at the dates on the calendar and I thought, OK, the 11th, that's good. But hang on a second, the following week is midterm break in a lot of places. 1850-715-996. I will. I'll go to Donny. Change of tack before uh, 10 o'clock. Back to COVID and many other such related things after 10 o'clock. But we spoke yesterday on the show uh, quite a lot. And we put up a podcast extra about the late Ted Dunn. And people were contacting me yesterday with some lovely messages thanking us. Some people very close to Ted. Uh, thanking us for our coverage. Of, of of the guy uh, and I just said it was the least the absolute least that we could do one of the people who remembers Ted and what he stood for and what he did for young people interested in getting into entertainment Donny, good morning Good morning, PJ, how are you? Good, 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 good you have very uh, fond personal memories of Ted Oh, we have, yeah first and foremost my deepest sympathy to Sheila and Lily and, and, and TJ and all, all the extended family. It's desperate news. We're shattered over here. Um, I, I suppose I first got to know Ted around two, around 1985. He arrived by bus, by, by train from Cork to Limerick, tombed out the N69 out to a place called Kilcarn and the Coach Inn. <laughs> and that had, had, that had a big function over the time. And uh, there was a palm tree golf course at the back. But Ted was so, the very minute Ted came in, he was like one of the family. Chatted to everybody. He had time for everybody. Absolutely had time for everybody. But he got in the back, he played a bit of golf. And the lads would say to him, come on, we'll, we'll organise a game tomorrow morning at 9 and 10 o'clock. And he'd go out and play the palm tree. And she us all of a sudden at the palm tree, people that never played golf would don't start to play golf, you know. Mm. Great crack. But then... Um, he he hit he got he, he said to us there one I you know I was DJing before like but I kind of give it up like you know but I'm after all of my music equipment we might do something out the back some night so he, the music equipment came at the store in in, in a, a man's shed back the road Michael Collins shed back the road and was there I was a commanded when is the music equipment coming out you know and he said that um. Oh, I said that a big 20, I was asked to do 21st, Ali Hale is 21st. He had a good card, that'd be a good night to last, to launch us, you know. So on the night, so we were all there. We were, we were, we were young now that time, in our 20s, early 20s, you know. Actually, we had a great crack, and it started from there, and, and it went bigger and bigger, and he, he, he built up the music scene in the country, actually. I have yeah, to say that now, yeah, you know. Yeah. He helped out your son, though, didn't he? He did, yeah, because my, my son then decided he wanted to become a DJ, and this, that he was 16 at the time, so he said to me one day, listen, would you, would you drive me to a Kilkenny? Uh, I need to pick up a dick for a, a dick for, a, for, for to do a, a bit of a DJ. I said, you've been out to Kilkenny now, and, and you'll buy something below there, so you mightn't walk when you get back. No reflection on Kilkenny people now or anything like that, but you know, mm. that's the way it is. So I said, hang on a minute now, I'll, I'll, see, I'll track down a number for you. So I got Ted's number, and I rang Ted, and Ted said, listen, I'll, I'll start him off, I'll dick him out. You know, mm. so we met in the Woodlands Hotel in Adair, and that would, of course, connections with Cork with the with the, the being a Woods in Cork yeah, as well, of course. Yeah. And we met there, and I, I said, T- Evan, make sure you have money now to pay him. And Ted said, go away and see how you get on, and whatever, like, you know. Yeah, so yeah. it took no money time. I think it was a year before Evan paid Ted for it, you know. And yeah. it was, it was, you know, with, with, with great crack, like, oh, let's, we, we, we wonderful times with Ted, you know. Yeah. I, actually, I went to America then in, 19, in 1988, I said to a friend of mine, and Ted said to me, we have a party before you go. You know, this is <laughs> me, me. I said, gee, we haven't time. 
Torres and I, this is Torres and I now, when nobody was going out, like, you know. So we had a great day. And then he said, come on, down to a house party. I've another, I've another system below there. So we're there till, we're there till 8 o'clock in the morning. But great crack now. Ah, great, yeah. great no, crack. Be- no, 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 better boy to party. No, better oh, boy to party. He, he sadly missed. He really, really sadly missed. Yeah, and missed like it. what he did for young Evan, like he did that for an awful lot of youngsters. Yeah. Take it yeah. away, take it away. We'll, we'll talk money if it works out for you. If yeah, it works exactly. out for you, we'll talk money. He, yeah, he did yeah, that for yeah. an awful lot of young folks. Yeah. And for more experienced people too, do you know, if, if an amp blew or some expensive piece of equipment blew, say yeah. Christmas week, he'd say, look, here, take that away, use that, and we'll sort it out in the new year. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what he was like. That's what he was like. Yeah, yeah great. Yeah. It was great backup. Great for, the, great for the to have on your side now. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Do you know, sadly missed, you know. Sad, sadly missed. Donny, thank you very much for that. And one of many stories coming in about, about Ted Dunn and, and, and the way he was and, the, and what he did. Here's an interesting call. I'm very annoyed that the rugby is on and they're all hugging each other and like the likes. No matter what measures are taken, it's a very bad example. We all know exactly what'll happen. It's not right and should be stopped. It shouldn't be played and that's that. You can make all the arguments you want but we're literally risking lives. Quite apart from the close play of the game, they're still doing all the embracing and hugging and why? No one is going to die if they don't do it. And there's the thing actually, the GAA now have been told that they can't resume. They're not elite sports. They can't resume until at least Easter and yet the Six Nations continues, and not just the matches, but the travel connected with the Six Nations. Now, apparently there is a very, very tight cocooning and testing and quarantining regime with regard to the players in the rugby. It's very tight. But at the same time, this caller is saying, look, regardless of how, how much of an effort they're making, it shouldn't actually be going on at all, is the argument. Yeah, and and if 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 kids see what the players are at, the kids will go out and try and play themselves, and they'll follow the example, and they'll say, "Well, if the lads can play rugby, then I can play rugby or soccer over on the green when they're not supposed to be." I'd love to know what people think. We're coming into the second week of the Six Nations. I love the Six Nations. I enjoy watching the rugby. But I was actually asking myself, all right, last weekend, should this be actually happening? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Morris says the rugby games are probably helping millions of people's mental health. It's the reopening of schools, I'd fear, especially the moms meeting in groups. Kids will play rugby and hurling and football because that's what kids do. Yeah. Look, I thoroughly enjoyed, well, I didn't like the result very much, but I enjoyed watching the rugby last weekend, and I'm looking forward to watching it again this weekend. But at the same time, I'm asking myself in the back of my mind, should it actually be on? Should it be? I don't know whether it should be or not. Then you have this guy who goes, what a comment. No rugby, Six Nations, kids copying it and playing it on the green. That's what we want and we need. Who are these scared, stupid people? Lockdowns will always fail, just as wearing masks are useless. Fact. You, whoever you are, are part of the problem. Please be part of the solution. Behave yourself. I'm surprised you even have the guts. And we don't fair play to you for having the guts to contact me. Fair play to you. Nonsense. Locks, lockdowns will always fail. No, lockdowns fail because of idiots like you trying to break the rules. 
wearing a mask are totally useless. That's absolute BS, and you know it, and I know it. Stop putting it out there, because it's crap. Fact? No, it's fiction. Good day to you. 1850-715-996. Now, we were talking about the midterm and the schools and the fact that the special schools going back maybe today and tomorrow are facing straight into midterm. And Sheila said, what what would they want midterm for? Sure, they've been off long enough and we need to knuckle down now and and forget about midterm until everyone is back up to speed. Sarah, I, I you said that you've three kids at home, one leaving cert, one second year and one sixth class and they need a break next week. Good morning to you. Good morning, DJ. They need a break. They do, yeah, definitely. They're on their screens from quarter to eight every morning to half to three on live classes with Zoom. And then after that, it's homework all on screens again. So it's all day, every day on screens. And they need, they need a break next week. So describe their typical day. They get up every morning around quarter to eight, breakfast, get ready for their day. And then they log on every morning at quarter to nine. And they start their live classes. And it just runs like their normal secondary school timetable. Well, that's brilliant that the schools yeah. are doing that. Oh, it's fantastic, yeah. The teachers are absolutely outstanding. And are they able to do it all on separate screens in separate rooms? Yeah, yeah, they're... That's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, but that it, it, it must be tiring, though. It is. You can see it in their humours and stuff. It's You know, they have good days and they have bad days. Yeah. You know, they've no, they've no outlet anymore. There's no sports. There's no meeting friends. So they're just at home all day, every day. Bedrooms, screens. It's just, it's not good for their mental health. Yeah. And you've won in leaving, sir. It must be particularly stressful. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Just the, the not knowing. Yeah. And they're, they keep telling us, oh, we'll, 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 we'll announce a plan. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. There, there seems to be no certainty at all. No, there's nothing. It's very like, it's, it's stressful as us. As parents, but on himself, it's just he doesn't know what's happening. He doesn't know what's going to happen next year. He doesn't. They just need something, some form of clarity. Yeah, yeah. You know? it's it's brilliant that they've got such a high level of schooling at home, but but it's hard. What's it like for yourself then, trying to take care of them all? I, I just one of them. Like it doesn't phase me really. I think I think because of what we went through last year, we're kind of we're more. In the swing of it, it just it kind of works. Yeah. You know? Any idea when they might be going back or no one knows for sure, do they? I don't think anybody knows. I think look, we'd be hopeful for March, but we have to wait and see what happens. I'd like to see my eldest, the Leaving Cert, go back just for one-on-one teaching. It's just some subjects work, other subjects don't. You need to have a teacher. Yeah. You know, it is hard. And what else are they missing besides the schoolroom? I mean, there's more to school than the class. Oh, yeah, huge. The social life, the, the whole social aspect of it, and meeting friends, and they just don't have that anymore. Yeah. They're, they seem like very resilient and well-rounded young people, though, that they're so disciplined. Oh, yeah. They're great, yeah. Are you proud of them? Oh, I am. Super proud of them, yeah. Good they're fantastic, you. yeah. Yeah, so for anyone who might be thinking, nah, forget the midterm break, we've missed enough. No, they need, need us. They need, they need us. Teachers need us. Teachers have kids and families as well. They need a break from us. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So there are those who think that teachers are at home sitting on their backside watching Netflix. And no, nothing could be no. further from the truth. No, no, that's not happening. All right. All right. Well, good luck. Thank you. Good luck to them and good luck to you. Uh, you probably need a break as well from 
<laughs> trying to mind them, do you? Yeah, yeah keep them sane. Yeah. All right, look after yourself, Sarah. Take care. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 1850 I'd love to know. I won't ask her because I'd love to know where their schools are because that's brilliant. They've got a full day from nine until three. Classes on screen, exercises and work on screen. You'd love to think that most schools are doing that, but but maybe not. But you see, there you go to Sheila, who was saying, "Ah, to hell what, to hell with the midterm break. They've missed so much. They need their break because they're studying." Deborah says, "Tell Sheila, everybody needs the midterm break, both teachers and parents, especially the parents who are pulling their hair out trying to get their kids to do anything at all." Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six on fines, and you'll have heard it there in the last few days. The fines for taking a holiday. I tell you, the fines for taking a holiday. Uh, let me have a look where we... First of all, people arriving in Ireland may have to book a slot in quarantine hotels is something we read this morning. And then the files for non-essential travel abroad, well, they could increase to €2,000 per person. So, in other words, if you head off to Lanzarote for a week, yourself and, and the wife and the two children... Uh, say for midterm break now, for argument's sake, you could be faced with two thousand euro each coming back. Was five hundred? They're talking about putting it up to two thousand. That means a couple would be hit with four thousand in fines, and a family of four with eight thousand in fines. It was originally a one hundred euro fine for bre- breaching your five kilometer limit, but now for actually travelling out of Ireland without it being essential to go on holidays could be €2,000 per member of the party. They really are clamping down. So they are. But then, uh, are there any statistics, says this call, of how many fines have been paid? Because I reckon a lot of them will end up being ignored, going to court, and then people will take a chance that it won't be collected. You're probably not wrong. Self-isolation is a joke. This is to do with quarantine and hotel. And for some reason, the faffing about, the absolute faffing about from the government with regard to hotel quarantine would have you baiting your head off a stone wall. Just do it. Primary legislation this, committee stage that, constitutional issues the other. For goodness sake, just do your job. Book a few hotels and put people into them and stop worrying about the flipping civil libertarians. Just do it like they did in New Zealand. Speaking of New Zealand, I've been speaking with Evie Bickerton or Evie McAuliffe as she was long ago in Cork. She lived and worked in Cork for quite a number of years. She's retired, in fact, uh, now, but she worked for many years in the Levana Centre and in what at the time was the Cox Spastic Clinic, and now, of course, all Cope Foundation facilities. So Evie worked there for a number of years and lived in, in the city, but she's now in New Zealand, and she's related to a former colleague. And I saw a video last week of Evie Bickerton at a barbecue, a summer barbecue, uh, in the company of Jacinta Ardern, the, the Prime Minister, now they, they don't know each other very well, but Evie is a supporter of Jacinda Ardern. And I said, I have to talk to Evie about what it has been like in New Zealand for the last 12 months. I have to find out what exactly it is like. So Evie, 
originally from Dublin, but you spent an awful lot of time in Cork and have many relatives and, and friends here. But how long have you been in, in New Zealand? Half my life now. Mm. Yeah, I'm 35 years. Mm. You, you went there, though, after a bit of wandering. You got around a bit before you settled. <laughs> I did. I did, PJ, yeah. Um, I spent three years in Canada and then came back to Cork again. And then myself and a pal set off for Southeast Asia, which was very exotic. Mm. Not many people going that route at the time. And uh, so I spent about two years traveling around Southeast Asia. And um, anyway, ended up in New Zealand and it was a great choice. Mm. I had tried to get to Australia, but for one reason or another, that didn't happen. And I'm so pleased that I came to New Zealand. Yeah, mm. We're looking at New Zealand with envy, particularly over Christmas and the New Year. We know it's your high summer and the weather is nice and all that. But we're looking at parties. And I know that you couldn't talk to me until today because you were going to a concert. We only dream of concerts coming back. Go right back to the start of, of this whole pandemic thing. How different has it been? Well, I I think um, at the very start, um, you know, when, when, when Jacinda came on, um, you know, national television uh, from the Beehive, that was something really different for us. And she was on the radio. I was driving to the home via the supermarket at the time when it was like we interrupt this program for a, from a broadcast from the government. And so I was just like, what? And everybody was sort of stunned. And she just basically said, um, within 48 hours, the country will be shut down. So prepare yourself, prepare to work from home, do not panic. There is enough food and supplies in this country for everybody. Please do not panic by, look after your neighbors, be kind. Her, her message has always been be kind. And I think um, she's, she's a lovely person, but she's also a good politician. Mm. And, um, she had our trust because she based her decisions on science. And we have a wonderful director of um, health, Dr. Ashley Bloomfield. Uh, and every day, Jacinda and Ashley, it was like the Jacinda and Ashley show, mm -hmm. every day they were on television at one o'clock without fail. They stood up. They gave their uh, report on what was happening and they were grilled by the media at, you know, after they'd finished speaking, there was lots of media questions. And um, so they were very, very open. They were very decisive, very open, very clear from the start, mm. from the very start at that time of driving to the supermarket, she said, there will be four levels we are now at alert level two, and by midnight, the day after tomorrow, we will be at alert level four. And what was alert level four? Like, what was that like? Well, that was for seven weeks. We all stayed at home unless 
we were essential workers. So everybody stayed at home and um, the supermarkets were open. The pharmacies were also open uh, because, of course, you have people on methadone maintenance and people who actually, you know, without certain drugs, they'll just keel over. Mm. So I thought the pharmacists handled it really, really well. Uh, they were really in the front line. And, and like like you're experiencing in Ireland, we found that the people in the lowest paying jobs are the most essential. Yeah. So supermarket workers were heroes. You know, people who worked in rest homes for minimum wage. You know, there was one rest home in Dunedin where the rest home staff, when this started, they said, we're moving in. We're leaving our families. Wow. We're moving in with these elderly people. We will not allow this disease to get in here. And if we all stay together in the one bubble, we'll be fine. Mm. How do you think Jacinda got that trust from the people? Because if I remember rightly, she she wasn't long in office as prime minister. And her she, she didn't exactly have the dominance that she has now after the last election. She was new to the game, but yet she won people over. How do you think she did that? I think she is a great communicator. She is a very, very good communicator. Um, her message has always been respect and kindness. You know, sometimes these politicians, honestly, you wouldn't want to bring your child to the government to view them <laughs> the way they scrap and they're so disrespectful to each other. And from the minute she get, got in there, she said, we will speak to each other with respect. And so her own demeanor, you know, her, she she models good communication. She models kindness. And mm. um, she doesn't put up with petty, you know, stuff. You know, she, she is a very, very good communicator. Mm. And uh, so she, and she works incredibly hard and everybody can see that. And mm-hmm. um, so she, she'll be up there every day during lockdown giving, you know, giving her um, assurance to the general team of five million. Also, they had really good marketing. I mean, that whole concept of we are a team of five million, like that is gold, isn't it? She used that line. Oh, yeah. That was very much part of the marketing. Be kind was the first line. Mm. Uh, We were the first country to institute the bubble. Yeah. Well, you were the first country to go into a kind of a lockdown, nobody in and nobody out. And we were looking at it from this side of the world going, okay, they've shut the place down completely. You can't get in, you can't get, if you have to get out, you get out now. Yeah. So her her, uh, deputy prime minister at the time was Winston Peters. And he, uh, he was also the minister for foreign affairs. And he gave a message and he said, if you are a New Zealander living abroad, come home now. If you don't come home now, then you will have to shelter in place. So it felt like a war Hmm. because New Zealand is so very far from a lot of places that what happened was the transit country started closing down. So, I mean, if people lived in Australia, it wasn't too dramatic. 
But if there was a Kiwi over in the UK, all those Middle Eastern, they'd book a flight and then they'd find that they, the, the interim transit place was closing down. So it was quite frightening. Okay. Um, but this, what they did was, yes, they closed the border to everybody who was not a New Zealander or who didn't have New Zealand residency. Mm. And even when you were, you had to quarantine there when you came back. And there was no questions asked about that. Well, initially, people were trusted to self-isolate. Um, but you can't really trust people, sorry to say. Mm. They just it was very kind about it. And so they, what they did was... It was quite clever, really, because the the industry that has hurt the most is tourism. Mm. I mean, we were a great tourist destination and we nearly had the same number of people who live here as coming to visit us. So they took these hotels and they turned them into managed isolation facilities. So anybody who enters New Zealand goes to one of these nice hotels and stays in the room for 14 days and they get tested on day three and day 12. And if they test negative, then they are released. And the latest thing is they are released and they are asked to self-isolate at home for at least five days. Really? Even on top of the two weeks? Yeah, on top of the two weeks, because what happened was there was a, a lady who'd come back from, I think she'd come back from Spain, and she was in a managed isolation facility, and she tested negative on day three and day 12, and um, then she went on her merry way, and gosh, she had a great old time. She visited about 30 different retail establishments, but in fairness to this woman, we all have this COVID app on our mobile phones. And when we go into a place like the concert the other night or a coffee shop or whatever, I take out my phone and I scan the QR code. Okay. So this woman had been very faithful about scanning the QR codes wherever she went. So any old how about... Four or five, four days after leaving the managed isolation, she started to get achy muscles, and then she, st- you know, started getting the symptoms. Mm. And she phoned the health line, and they said, "Go and get a test." And lo and behold, she had picked up the South African variant. Wow! In the hotel. That's the thing. So it. it that's why the system works because they'd captured it in the hotel and and then they locked the hotel down and the whole region around it, wasn't it, to analyse exactly how it got into the hotel. Yeah, so they can do the G. Every time somebody has a test, they do genome sequencing to figure out who they got it from. So it turns out that she got this from somebody who was across the hallway on the same floor as her who she'd never seen, who she'd never met. I mean, they, they go through the CTV camera footage as well to make sure that they haven't mm. passed. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. each other in the hallway or seen each other um, and so they were afraid that it had gone through the ventilation system right they kept everybody there very carefully until the last person was ready to leave and they have stopped using that hotel and they're um, revamping the ventilation system because this is something we hear about there is no such thing as an unknown transmission. We have this, as you know, Evie, here at home with the community transmission, which effectively is, well, we don't know how you got it. There's no such thing as that in New Zealand. They can trace exactly where you got it from, almost who you got it from. Mostly, except mm. in August, there was an outbreak. We were going along really merry and fine. And then a family of four came down with it, with it and they have never really discovered how they got it although he worked in some sort of um cold storage where there was you know frozen meat yeah. coming in and they think he might have got it from the frozen packaging but they're not absolutely sure but like that when when that happened in August um what Jacinda did was she basically shut Auckland down she said, right. And how quickly did she do that? Oh, within 24 hours. She said, that's it. Auckland is back to level four. And uh, people were, some people were really angry. Hmm. But the government also has managed, you know, in, in, in paying, you know, subsidy to businesses. Hmm that their workers would not be out of pocket. So you were at a concert the other night and life is normal now. Would you, would you know that there was a pandemic when you go about your daily business now? No, and people forget really easily, especially people who don't have family overseas like I do. When I'm talking to my family, I'm very aware of how privileged I am but there's lots of Kiwis, you know, that just, they don't have that connection. Mm. And so when I go into a shop and I see somebody not scanning, I bail them up on it. And I mm. said, you know what's going to kill us all is complacency. Talk to me about the scan, because I've seen video of people doing that. So it's a QR code that you scan. And what information is that taking then, Evie? It's uh, recording that I have been in that coffee shop. Um, and so I've got it, it. It can tell me. I'll have a whole record on my phone of where I've been. But what happened was when that lady got the South African variant and she'd visited 30 places, mm. anybody who had visited those same places immediately got a message on their phone wow. saying, you have been in the same place as somebody who's tested positive. You need to get a test. You need to self-isolate until you get the result of that test. So immediately, anybody who had been in that shop got the message. 
to go and get a test and get self-isolated. And do people do that when they're asked? Because here, not everybody will. Oh, yeah, they go and get a test. Or if you have the sniffles, you go and get a test. I mean, a friend of mine just had the sniffles the other day and... You know, and it doesn't cost anything and you can self-refer. You can just ring up and say, I've got a bit of a cold. All right, come and get a test. Just like that. And how quickly will you have the result back? Within two days. Right. And you isolate at home then while you're waiting for that, which is a bit similar to here. So things are pretty much as normal, except like for, the, for someone like yourself now, it'll be a while before you'll see Cork again. Oh, yeah, it will. It will. Yeah, I, I went back in 2018 for a wedding. Mm. My nephew got married. Uh, my nephew, who lives in Dunhuin. And uh, I was so pleased I went. So pleased. Mm. Uh, it'll be a while. And um, it'll be a while before any of my family come here again. Um, uh, I have a niece. Actually, two nieces are married to Kiwis. Um, and one in particular has visited every two years because his mom is here. Mm. Um, so I don't know when they'll get to come again. And that's the lonely part, I guess, that here you are, everything is great and working so well, but no one can come in and you can't come out, which I guess is a little bit little bit sad. Well, I, I just feel such gratitude. I don't feel sad at all, actually. But I, I do feel sad for people who are self-isolating, who are alone. Mm. Uh, so my sister is in Montreal, in Canada, and uh, she lives alone, and she's been self-isolating for a very long time. And thanks be to God, we have these devices, you know, with FaceTime and Zoom and all the rest, because otherwise it's very lonely. It's very isolating. Mm. Yeah. People here, Evie, I think, are getting very, very tired of it. We're in talking on the programme last week about this is our third lockdown. It's gone for six weeks now. There's no, no, the whole country's locked down until the 5th of March. And listening to our politicians today, it'll be another few weeks after that before they ease off anything because of the way they manage it over here. And it's getting very, very hard for people. And we look to the likes of yourselves in New Zealand and in Australia, and we envy, we envy you what you've managed. The leadership of Jacinda, I think, has been the thing for the New Zealanders, hasn't it? Absolutely. And I was just, just remembered there that when she made the announcement that we were going into full lockdown, which was sort of gobsmacking to everybody, she said... We only have this many cases. Now, it wasn't very many. She, you know, she said, we only have 10 cases or whatever. She said, but so too did Italy once. Wow. That really struck home. And, and we thought, wow. And we were seeing those terrible, terrible videos from, from Italy. And I thought, God, she's right. You know, they did. Once upon a time, they were at that low number and then, mm. whoa, it, it took off. So, yeah, she did the right thing. The naysayers were saying, oh, look, it's, a, it's an economic disaster. You how, know, how is the economy? Well, that's the amazing thing. Our unemployment is 4.9%, which is way lower than lots and lots of other OECD countries. And, you know, at the risk of sounding sexist, PJ, <laughs> the female leaders have shown better leadership in this crisis than the male leaders. Any idea why? 
Hmm. Well, I suppose you could write a thesis on it, but um, those female leaders happen to be very good communicators. They're good networkers. They, um, yeah, they work collaboratively. That's how you get the job done. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Before I let you go, remind people of your Cork connections. They are so Cork, you lived in an apartment over the high B and you used to mind the bar for Brian. <laughs> apartment is a very big stretch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I lived in a flat over the high B. Now and again, I went there and served pints and whackers. Do you know what whackers is? No. Well, these old ladies would come in and ask for a whackers of brandy. And a whackers is a half of a half. It's a small one. It's a tiny one. <laughs> Evie, great talking to you. Stay safe out there and mind yourself. Yeah, okay. Lovely talking to you too. Hello to all my family and friends in Cork. Lovely talking to her, Evie Bickerton in New Zealand. That's how it could be. She actually sent us a picture uh ahead of this morning of going into a cafe just an ordinary cafe and you know the blackboard where they put the specials and stuff like that it's got a a poster with a big QR code in it underneath it is sign in stop the virus so there's none of this nonsense about signing a book you scan the QR code and below it is written please don't forget let's stop this virus that is their that is their kind of motto in New Zealand let's stop this and for now, at least, that's exactly what they've done. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. The Scratch are a four-piece acoustic act born from a shared love of acoustic guitar, metal and traditional Irish music. You can check out this excellent hybrid when they come to Cypress Avenue for a show on Saturday, May 29th. Access all areas. Triple Platinum selling US artist Macy Gray has a rescheduled show set for Cork on Wednesday, June 16th. All tickets for Macy's original show are still valid at Cypress Avenue with more information available at cypressavenue.ie. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Ah, yeah. Uh, civil liberties and freedom are basic human rights, says this fellow who keeps getting back to us. But of course, you don't tolerate any other viewpoint. I think that's called fascism. I think if you were listening to Evie, you will realise, sir that her civil liberties and her freedom are perfectly intact and she's perfectly happy because her government led and did the right thing and they're sorted now. For now, they follow a set of rules. There's nothing wrong with following a set of rules. A set of rules is not a breach of your civil liberties. It's not like... So give over on that one. 
1857 Let us look at some of our entries that are coming in for our Clayton Hotel competition. We're looking for your cheesiest, most stupid chat-up lines. I was blinded by your beauty. I'm going to need your name and phone number for insurance purposes. I can cook your dinner if you'll cook my breakfast in the morning. Ooh, yeah. My name is Microsoft. Can I crash at your place? I love that one. I love that one. Uh, 1857-15996-083-396-9696 if you have any entries for our competition to win. The great prize at Clayton Hotel. Give you details again a little bit later on. Uh, Debbie, we're talking to Debbie about... You reckon that there's a, a long-term crisis looming because of the shortage of nurses anyway, let alone the shortage of nurses because of the pandemic. Debbie Toomey, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you? Good. Good. Yeah, I mean, look, I was on to you two years ago when we were in the strike, and this was a huge part of the strike was the fact that we were so understaffed that we were pulled in all different directions. Um, and, you know, that was a huge part of why we went on strike. And we were so unified at the time, and everybody, I suppose, has really high hopes. Um, and, and especially, I think, that, you know, what brought this back to me was it came up in my uh, Facebook memories about the march to Dublin. Yes. And Phil A singing and riling everybody up, and then the next day dropping us in it. <laughs> to be, you know. Um, you mean by agreeing to the deal on the table, you weren't happy with that? Yeah, and a huge amount of my colleagues weren't, and a huge amount of my colleagues left the INMO after that. I remember covering that that at the time, all right, that there was a lot of disquiet within the INMO with regard to the signing of that deal. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the phone lines, the day the results came out, the phone lines actually closed because there were so many people ringing to remove themselves from the INMO. What is your message, though, to the government now, two years on? Open your eyes. It's, you know, it doesn't take a lot. It's common sense. Uh, you know, if we had the old mammies of Ireland running the government, we wouldn't have half the problem. I mean, they're giving each other, you know, um, they're giving pay rises and all the rest. I know the INMO are now going to the government. They went to the Oireachtas Committee and they looked for kind of some, some kind of lump payment. Unfortunately, within the, the proposals that were brought out um, that we accepted two years ago, Part of, the, uh, part of the proposals were we weren't to get lump sums. So I have no idea how they're now backtracking and, and asking the government for money because they're, they're not going to give it. We asked before Christmas for even our registration to be paid for. I'm a single mom. That hundred euros straight after Christmas is always a bit of a slap in the face. Um, and the government just need to open their eyes. There is a reason why there's a retention and a recruitment problem in Ireland. Yeah. And the nurses um, are getting a payment up the north, aren't they? They're getting a, a and COVID-based fr- yeah, bonus. £500 in the north and 1500 in, south, uh, in uh, France. Yeah. So, but I mean, take that out of the equation, but look after us. I mean, I have, I have friends with, I'm a single mother, um, you know, childcare obviously is a huge issue for us. We have been shouting about childcare since the first wave. The only reason most nurses survived the first wave was because there was a Facebook page set up of teachers and SNAs and childcare workers who offered to babysit kids or frontline workers. That was the only reason. I remember that. that. We, we, we plugged yeah. that Facebook page once or twice, actually, yeah. Yeah, and it was amazing. And they, I mean, those people are absolute saints and, you know, they they were fabulous. But the government know that childcare is an issue 
since then and they've done nothing about it and that's why nurses are feeling so left down at the moment it's not even about money it's the fact that there has been you know light a candle stand on your front door and clap for us that's all good and well but nurses are being pulled to the very edge of their seat there's i've been talking to girls who are um paediatric only trained um, and they are being sent out to general wards and obviously they have no problem helping they understand how short staff they are but that is not within their competencies you're they, they have never trained as an adult nurse and there's such a huge difference yeah. between adults and paediatric nurses and, and do you think debbie finally that a lot of people will will just up and leave yeah yeah, I think, you know, one, the young people, the minute the country's open, they're going to be gone. And I think there's going to be an awful lot of people who are going to be reviewing their work situation because yeah. I don't understand how people can keep working when we're not being supported in any which way. F- I mean, the basic F- Finally, and on that subject, on that point with regard to support, let's imagine that it's not me sitting here, that it's Michal Martin and you've got 30 seconds. What would you say? Just please support us, you know, look at what we're having to do every day, look at what nurses, you know, they're staying in hotels, they're coming into work with no meals because they're living in hotels, they're living in their cars. Just look after us, we're looking after the country. All right, Debbie, leave it there. For no reason other than time, thank you very much. That's Debbie Toomey, uh, 1850-715-996. A lot of that coming from the front line at the moment, that once this is over, people will work. They'll work every hour they have to to save the lives that they have to save and mind the people they have to mind. But once this is done, they're gone. They're gone to some part of the world where they'll be appreciated and treated properly, which is very, very sad to hear that. 1850 New rules are coming for posters. Uh, it'll particularly affect groups who just want to put up a poster for an event or a protest or anything at all. Groups will need public liability insurance before they get permission to erect a poster on the streets of the city. It comes under new draft guidelines, a postering protocol, as it were. Um, city councillors are discussing this at the moment. Lord Mayor Joe Cavanagh. Joe, good morning to you. Uh, good morning, PJ. Why is this being brought in? Why is it being considered? Well, a number of years ago, PJ, uh, Cork City Council had to were forced to bring in a postering protocol around the city because the city was awash with posters of all different types and kinds um, and there was zero control uh, virtually on how they were put up. They were being glued onto post boxes, they were being glued onto electrical boxes, onto electricity poles and so on. Um, And everybody was putting up all kinds of different types of posters. It led to all kinds of difficulties. So the Cork City Council drafted up a protocol and literally, it comes in under the environment section as uh, litter and waste management. So there's, there's there's a set of guidelines. And if someone wants to put up a poster, you can put up a poster. But um, Cork City Council uh, are now, I suppose, as you go along, PJ, and as you go through life, and as organisations evolve, and as different ways of communication uh, come to the fore, particularly in the days we're living in now. Um, you know, lots of clubs, for example and organisations uh, use postering to, to advertise registration of players. <clears throat> uh, first day's training is on such and such a day and mm. so on. And it's the best way of getting it. So we can do that. Now, most clubs have 
um, some form of insurance, um, any soccer club or GA club would have insurance of mm. some description. So they would just need to, um, I suppose, tell their insurance company that ensure that things like if they put up a poster in a fall zone and in front of a car and blocks the windscreen and the car crashes into a pole or something like that. These things can happen. Mm, well, we don't hear them happening all that often in fairness, Joe. What, what, just, just the thought that occurs to my yeah. mind is yeah. public liability insurance is not cheap. So if you're an organisation, be it a political party or an established um, action group, say, who, who has public liability and, and, can, and can pay for all these things, that's fine for you. But if you're a small grassroots organisation trying to get off the ground or trying to organise something for people, it's discriminatory against those who can't afford hefty insurance. Yes, well, I suppose it depends what... Like, if you're trying to organise an event... Um, say a meeting of some description there are ways and means of doing it and there is an application procedure that you write in uh, you email your, your application to city council and they will advise you the litter department inside will advise you exactly what the process is moving forward in terms of putting up your posters how and where and what you can put on your poster and how to do it and there's no problem putting up posters provided everybody singing mm. from the same hymn sheet grassroots campaigns formed by community groups like for yeah. argument's sake water charges they didn't have the money for public liability but their advertising was done through posters they wouldn't be allowed to do that now wouldn't it? Um, if they apply to and, and they have done in the past uh, well Organisations linked to them have done in the past and more recent um, public meetings that were cancelled. I know for a fact, because I, I was told um, that they organised uh, organised a permission for postering um, on Summerhill and the various other places in the city centre mm. for a public meeting in the, re- in, re- in the recent eighteen months. So yeah, you can do that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. There's no problem. There's no like PJ. There's, there's nobody saying that you can't put up a poster. Mm. Just as a way, there's a way to do there's, it. There's a right way. There's a right way and a wrong way of doing it. And public okay. safety is very important. Well, I thought we had literal laws anyway to counteract putting them up in the wrong places, didn't we? We did. We did. We had literal laws uh, to an extent, but um, it was a bit flaky in terms of um, it was in terms of postering. So this is quite specific. This protocol. Okay. This is quite specific because okay. postering is very effective. PJ, as you well know. Yeah. Uh, that's why, some, very, that's very why so many people want to do it. Quick, quickly before I let you go, yes. Lord Mayor, you've a, you've an idea which I think I think it's a great one. Sports museum. Yes, PJ, and I'm delighted now that you're you're on board on this one because I, love I it. mean you have a strong voice uh, in Cork, and I think it's something that we will be very dependent on people like yourself to show from the rooftops and help uh, with it because I think Cork City and County as such. Um, you know, has such a rich tapestry of heritage. Mm. And I'm sure if you put the call out, PJ, you would have people ringing in and say, my great-grand-uncle played in an All-Ireland Club final in 1923. When and, and where do you want to do it. this, Joe? Pardon, PJ? When and where do you want to open it? Well, I'd like to open it yesterday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's it's. I've kept it in committee for further discussion. There was an initial proposal to incorporate it with the public museum down in Fitzgerald's Park, but I personally think that a Cork Sports Museum uh, would certainly uh, garner uh, a far more um, bigger facility somewhere in the city centre. And there were recent calls as well, PJ, you might remember, in recent years for a maritime museum as well. And given our maritime history, I think maybe... But a sports museum definitely has got serious potential 
I think it's a great idea and anything you want to do about it or any way you want to promote it, you'll be pushing an open door on this programme because it's a great idea. There are a lot of ideas come out of Cork City Hall, Lord Mayor Joe Kavanagh, that I might give out about, but that won't be one of them. A sports museum for Cork, given our massive sporting heritage and history, is a wonderful idea. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. We're getting a lot of responses to our competition with the nice people at Clayton Hotel Cork. We have an overnight stay in a superior Riverview balcony room to give away. We have dinner for two in the club restaurant and bar. Complimentary access to the Club Vita Leisure Club with an 18 metre pool and all that. Uh, what we want is your cheesiest, your most ridiculous, your funniest most near the knuckle uh, pick up lines, chat up lines and look when Valentine's Day, it'll be long gone before the hotels open but when they open you can enjoy your break with the Clayton Hotel Cork winner of Best Cork Hotel 2020 by Cork Business Association 083 396 96 96 for your text to WhatsApp entries, we'll pick one at the end of the programme and we will have a winner today, a winner tomorrow winner Monday and a winner Tuesday to celebrate Valentine's Day with our friends at the Clayton Hotel Cork. Also on Wayne's show Saturday, 10 to 2, he'll also have a prize to give away. 1857 the number, the text to WhatsApp 083 396 the email opinion at 96fm.ie. If you missed anything in the first couple of hours of our programme this morning, remember the podcast goes live mid-afternoon. We tweet the link as soon as the podcast is cooked. We tweet it, and then it goes from there to all the various different platforms, including the Quark's 96FM app. If you subscribe to our podcast through your provider, you get it every day. And what's more, it doesn't cost you a penny piece. It's absolutely free. We did get some entries, or not entries, but suggestions for entries from the lads on the proc. Very funny lads. Both of them very funny. Problem. Both of them unbroadcastable, and one of them will always certainly get me sued. But very funny, all the same. I just hear in the news about the driving test backlog. Is it not very well known that even if you get a date, even if it was given to you recently, when you turn up, you must show both that you're an essential worker and that you're living within 5K of the centre? The second point in particular isn't well known. Despite all that, we were lucky enough to be able to go ahead, but could have been caught out. I wasn't aware of that. I know that at the moment it's essential workers are being prioritised, but I wasn't aware that the 5k rule applied to the distance from the driving test centre. suppose logically it would, uh, but, but it, it does, it does. On New Zealand, on my conversation with Evie, PJ, a little reminder for you that New Zealand is an independent island state two and a half thousand miles from their nearest neighbours. How can you even compare any country with the way they've done things? We did and are doing the best we can. Well, interesting that you say that, because their nearest neighbour is Australia, who are doing a similarly good job, a much bigger country, with many, many borders. And I do not buy, and I will not buy, and I will not accept the lame excuse, the lame, limp-wristed excuse that they're New Zealand and we couldn't do that. I won't, I won't, Accept it until we try and fail. We haven't even tried. We haven't even flipping tried. That's the bit that makes me so angry with our leaders. But thank you. 
1850 I mentioned with the Lord Mayor before 11, sport and the possibility that Cork would have a sports museum, which is great, wonderful idea. Bring it on. Uh, and I'll be its most ardent or one of its most ardent supporters. But sport is my next guest's life, I guess. But it wasn't the kind of sport or the kind of nature of sport that you as a young fella had in mind, Donald McCarthy, was it? Good morning to you. Hi, TJ. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Delighted. You you, you grew up mad into running and ga and soccer and all those things. Yeah, so I, I grew up in West Cork. So, um, yeah, I would have been doing the, the typical things any young West Cork lad would have been doing. So... Um, that would have been just sport in the school, soccer, GA, so all, all the usual stuff, you know. Yeah, and in between helping out on the farm, of course. Yeah, oh, exactly, yeah, that goes goes without saying. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, you had a teacher in school who was a great supporter of sport and pushed all the young lads to run and to race and to play hurling of football. You loved it. I loved it, yeah. So um, I would have been talking about national school there. Um, so my, my headmaster there in national school, who's since passed away, would have been a huge advocate of sport as well and would have really pushed sport within the school and got everyone out playing, really. And that would have been anything from just school sports days to to football to hurling. So whatever whatever we wanted to do. When did it all start to change for you, Donoghue? Uh, yes, for me, it all, all began to change really early 2001. So um, I was actually at a football training session and I noticed my, my eyesight a little bit blurry. So um, I, I wasn't really sure at the time what it was. Um, but I suppose over the next couple of weeks, my, my eyesight progressively started getting worse and um, went to, to COH get an eye check done and it was uh, later that day then I went for an MRI scan I was actually diagnosed with leukaemia right so you were 10 uh, I was 10 at the time yeah. yeah and unfortunately you went on to lose your sight completely didn't you yeah so it happened very quickly to be honest so over the, the space of five six seven weeks really um, just went from having like almost perfect vision to, to absolutely nothing now. So, mm. how does that affect you when you're ten and a bit years old and you can't see? Or how does that? Yeah, um, obviously it was very tough. But um, like, like it's the funny thing about I think children are amazingly resilient as well. And to be honest, I I wasn't worrying really about the immediate the long-term effects of what, what being blind really meant, to be honest. Um, all I was thinking about is like, when can I get back to school? When can I <laughs> get out and start playing with my friends again? You know, where mm. so I think on my family and on my siblings and had a, obviously a much bigger effect and hit them a lot harder, I think, than me at the time, you know. You wanted to get back out running around with your friends, even though there was always going to be a problem, as it were. <laughs> exactly, uh, yeah. So I suppose... Did you turn away from sport because of that? I I did, yeah. So at at the time, like um, I hadn't heard of any kind of so para Paralympics or uh, para sport or anything like that. So um, 
for me, I thought just sport was over pretty much. Um, so obviously all my friends were still going out uh, playing JA and playing football, but obviously I couldn't take part in that. It so, was hard, I'd say, was it? Yeah, obviously, like I, I would have felt very excluded at the time. And Joe, um, like uh, I, I've said it before, but like it's it's a real form of socialising, I think, especially mm. in, in rural areas like... Um, weekly training Saturday training it's, yeah. it, it's a meet up of all the lads and it's uh, where you get together and hang out and have a bit of fun you know and that was something that was obviously lost to me then So for a few years or for a while at least there was no sport and you'd kind of given up on it who put the idea then of, of para sport in your, in your mind? Um so it was really true. Uh, so it's a national organisation, um, Vision Sports Ireland. So they, in conjunction with the FEI, were holding um, it was a, a trial for five-a-side football. So it's actually football for for athletes who are blind, <laughs> believe it or not. So the ball has ball bearings in it, so it makes noise. Right. And so the athletes are able to track it and. Okay. Then obviously you rely on communication between your teammates to pass the ball around and shoot and stuff like that. So that that was really my first foray back into, I suppose. How did that? Sport. How did that feel? To oh, be able amazing. to do that. It was amazing. Yeah, like obviously the next day I was suffering big time. Like I could barely walk, but um, it was just amazing to have that feeling of being part of a group again and being involved in sport and exercising and getting out and about, you know. Um, and that, that was something that was... Uh, it's, it's hard to describe in words, I suppose, but um, it was great headspace, you know. Yeah. So you went then from the ball... I thought that's, that's an ingenious idea, though, the ball that makes noise so you can follow it. But then it was triathlons. Yeah, so... Um, I know it's, it's a crazy progression, all right. You've got to cycle <laughs> and you've got to run and you've got to swim. Yeah, so I suppose... N- none funny, of those are easy when you've got no eyesight. <laughs> Not at all. So um, I suppose just for anyone who doesn't, isn't aware, like a triathlon, it, it's um, what I compete in in sprint distance. So it's a 750 metre open water swim, uh, 20k bike and a 5k run. So I compete with a guide. So it's a... Uh, another athlete is alongside me right. and they're with me in the water um, on the bike with me on the tandem and then beside me on the run so they're giving me instruction feedback and what's around me and guiding me safely through the race basically um, so how I progressed into that really was I started working in, in Vodafone here in Dublin um, where I'm living at the moment and they were the sponsors of Triathlon Ireland at the time um, so there's a lot of talk about triathlon around the company and um, just a few of my, my colleagues encouraged me to, to give it a try and give it a go and see see how it got on um, So you got on grand, really grand because assuming that they happen and we're told that they will you're hoping to head off and pull on the green jersey for Ireland in the Paralympics in Tokyo this year. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the aim. Um, so it was something that kind of really came on my radar back in 2019. So I competed at the the test event 
Um, so they, they host the test event for each of the sports one year out from Tokyo and uh, competed on that, finished sixth. Mm-hmm. And um, that kind of really gave me impetus then to kind of knuckle down and work hard for the next, well, 12 months, I thought, at the time and try and qualify for Tokyo. And, um, yeah, so... Have you, yeah, have you qualified? Uh, no, so I'm still in the process. Um, so there's... Um, I need to do a minimum of three races um, between now and the end of June uh, to qualify. So um, just with, obviously, the COVID situation yeah. now at the moment, it, it makes things a little bit trickier because there's still a lot of uncertainty around racing and what events are going to go ahead. A lot of events will just not, just not happen, and I guess that's a global thing. So you, you have to get to a certain qualifying standard and show you've got it, and it's going to be really hard with all the restrictions, but you're still, you're still giving it a go. Uh, still, yeah, that's the plan. So um, from like everything we've been hearing from our national governing body and uh, Paralympics Ireland, like it's full steam ahead for Tokyo in, in August. So um, yeah, so it's just a case of just waiting now and what qualification races are going to turn up in the next couple of months. And when, where, where is there likely to be a race? Um, yeah, so for us at the moment now, like we have our world champs in um, Milan, in May and then uh, there's a few events in June so one in um, Leeds and Montreal as well in Canada so so they're they're the three big races that I'm yeah. targeting Tra- Travelling to them could be difficult uh, That's the thing but um, I think we are quite lucky as uh, I suppose elite athletes in terms of that Yes, there is certain exemptions and yes. uh, a lot of the races are held in extremely safe conditions as well so there's Obviously, you're not allowed to fly into any countries without a negative test, and you're supposed to track your, I suppose, your daily stats, so like your temperature and mm. um, heart, resting you're prepared heart rate to go before. through quarantine if it takes. Uh, if it takes that, yeah. So um, I I had travelled for a race last at the end of last year in October, and um, I think the races now that will be coming up will be held in very kind of similar conditions and. Um, obviously I had to go through my quarantine for that and mm. it, it wasn't as bad as you think it is to be honest so yeah, yeah. Um, I'm prepared to go through that Good. again they're, they're if talking about if, if if Tokyo is able to go ahead and I think you know people really really hope for the athletes and everybody that, that it will go ahead that the, the quarantine for Tokyo will be so strict like yeah yeah so I was actually on a, a call with Paralympics Ireland there last week and they were just going through the protocol in terms of what's involved so um, obviously all the athletes have to stick to, to certain bubbles and isolate from other countries and there's, there's a lot going into it in terms of making sure that there's no, I suppose, cross-contamination between athletes. So I think if it does go ahead, it'll be obviously a very, very different mm-hmm. Olympic Games to, I suppose, previous well, it'll ones. Still, it'll still be the Olympic Games and for the, the 10-year-old boy who was sports mad and then lost his sight to leukemia, it's it's some turnaround. Did, did you ever dream in in those days when you'd given up on sport? Did you ever dream that you could be on the verge of being an Olympic athlete? Um, absolutely not. No, <laughs> I suppose uh, sports. Like uh, obviously, when I lost my sight, that that's something I I thought was gone forever. To be honest, yeah. But like, look, I, I know there's probably other families and other children going through similar 
conditions like in similar scenarios and look I'd hope that I suppose hearing my story would give them a bit of hope as well yes, and just show absolutely. that so look nothing nothing is impossible really if you want story to if you set your mind to it. resilience and determination actually there's a question I saw some of this on social media in the last few days there's a little bit of a, a debate going on at the moment like do you like to be referred to uh, assuming that you qualify and we hope that you will uh, do you like to be referred to as an Olympic athlete or a Paralympic athlete? Um, yeah, I've seen that as well, and I was. It's it's called the Paralympics, so I'd be a Paralympian, and I think the whole debate around that is the Olympics and Paralympics. They're they're two completely different events in terms of, um, I suppose who's competing at each. But the whole purpose of the Paralympics really is all about showing that athletes who have a disability or have an impairment um, can compete and are able to compete on on a par and on a level yeah. with Olympic athletes. So, yeah, it's just an interesting one that people are talking so much about uh, four small letters. To me, anyone who gets to the Olympics of any shape or form is an Olympian, para mm. or otherwise. And we keep in touch with you, yeah? Definitely, yeah. No, thanks a million for having me on. Cheers, Donica. Lovely talking to you. 1850 It's amazing the way we break stuff down these days. We just tear ourselves apart. How to talk. How to talk. Let's bring it up. 1850 715996. I'd love to see him get there. And here's the thing. We as a nation punch so far above our weight in the Paralympics compared to the Olympics themselves. It's great. Delighted to talk to him. 185715996 on these new laws regarding posters. Uh, I've never heard of political parties being fined for leaving posters up. And that's from John. In as much as the law allows. I think they do get fined. Every election poster is supposed to be down within seven days of polling. And every time there's one or two left up, I wonder do any of them actually get fined, which is a very, very good, very good point. Lots of stuff. Uh, We're still going on about civil liberties. Leave it alone. On COVID-19 and travel, um... Yeah, a couple more of those, but I need to do this first. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. The drama is sensational. That's 80. Oh, he's done it. It's an equaliser. It's stoppage time. And it's all right here. Grealish for seven. Join me, Trevor Welch, on 96fm.ie for the Premier League Live online, powered by TalkSport. Go, go. This Saturday, it's Leicester versus Liverpool at 12.30. Crystal Palace versus Burnley at 3. Man City versus Tottenham at 5.30. And Brighton versus Aston Villa at 8. Go. Go. 
The Premier League Live Online With Now TV Stream live action from BT Sport and Premier Sports On the Now TV Sports Extra Pass Listen every Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app Or see 96FM.i This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Text or WhatsApp now 083-396-9696 On Cork's 96FM I love what I see lately with regard to multitasking. Do you know this multi, he's a brilliant multitasker. I'm a great multitasker. I bloody hate multitasking. I've always hated the term. I've always hated the thought. The idea of trying to do five or six things at once just to show that you can. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Get one job done, finish it, then move on to the next one. Not always possible, but when you can, you should. And guess what? They even have a name for it now. It's called single tasking. Anna Lehan, good morning. We're on the same page here, girl. <laughs> morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Multitasking is a pain in the neck. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I feel like there's this idea out there that in order to be productive, you have to be doing six things at once, like you said. And you know what? You're not doing any of them effectively. Your brain is just frantically moving from task to task. It's cognitively draining and it's stressful and you're not being effective. So no, I'm with you there. (laughs) Start a project, do it well and finish it. If something must be started while you're doing that, if you can't avoid it, that's fine. But start it, finish it, move on. A hundred percent agree with you. Why do you think that that's not the way it's done anymore. I think there, well, I suppose, first of all, the term multitasking, you know, we hear it so often and, you know, we see other people doing it. We see other people doing lots of different things at once and we see them as being productive. But in reality, they're not being productive. But like we see it and we think, oh, we should be doing this too. So therefore you kind of get sucked into it. And what's interesting is the more you multitask, the more you take on. So it's kind of a recipe for disaster. And like your list is just growing and growing and growing and you're not getting anything done. Whereas like productivity basically means getting the most out of your time. Yeah. And the irony is that multitasking by its very nature drains you. So I suppose we're all just kind of sucked into this idea of it. You know, that if I if I want to be productive, I need to be doing six things at once. But like I said, the irony is to get more done, you have to slow down. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an interesting one. I find it's very uh, unfair think- at the moment on on parents in lockdown and particularly moms in lockdown yeah. because the kids are at home. They're trying to do a bit of homeschooling. They're trying to mind the kids. They're trying to clean. They're trying to cook. They're trying to do their own job if they've got their own job to do. Yeah. And they're in a tizzy by half ten. Oh, completely. There's so much pressure, so much pressure. And I think with that, you know, obviously there are times during the day where you need to be doing a couple of different things at once. And now I don't have children, so I can't I can't speak directly to it. But, like, you know, I'd imagine if you're working full time, you're trying to keep the house going and you're trying to do the homeschooling. Of course, you're going to be splitting your time. But I suppose where possible to try and single task, uh, to use that term. But yeah, there is an awful lot of pressure, especially with the homeschooling. So I suppose, except that there are going to be times in the morning where it is going to be a little bit chaotic, but know that that's temporary and that's, you know, hopefully short term. 
Um, so yeah, no, there is definitely ferocious pressure, but I suppose just focusing on single tasking where possible and then accepting that things are going to be a little bit chaotic at times. The old feeling when you wake up in the morning happens to us all. Oh God, I have 101 things to do before I even finish my cup of coffee. Yeah. How do you start to prioritise? What's the advice there? Um, I would definitely say, PJ, lists and blocking out your day. Like, thinking about all the things you have to do and trying to do them all at once isn't effective. Like, there is absolutely no evidence to prove that that's effective. So what I try and do is block out my day. Like, I'll have a list for the week of the things that I want to get done. And then at the start of the day, I'll block out my day. Okay, what are the key priorities today? What's important for me to get done today? And just focus on that. I don't know if you've heard the idea of eating the frog. It's basically getting the worst task done or yes. the most laborsome task done first thing in the day. So, yeah, it's, it's exactly that. Like looking at your day and prioritizing, okay, what's the most important thing? And just doing that. And then once, that just, once that's done, moving on to the next thing. Like thinking about all the things you have to do is cognitively draining and it's, you're not going to get them done. So what can you do? You can sit down, you can write them down. Well, lots of priorities start there. Yeah. Another thing that happens too is you start a task. I'm thinking in terms of something around the house. Mm-hmm. Okay. You start the task and then as you're getting your stuff together to do it and you're making yeah. your plan to do it, you've spotted something else and something else and something else and something else. Yeah. And you stop what you began to begin the something else. Neither of the two get actually done. Now, there's a skill in that. Oh, 100%. And, you know, that's actually something that I have struggled with myself for years. And um, interestingly, my my growing up, I would have seen my mom (laughs) do a similar thing. So I think monkey see, monkey do. But um, I suppose what I try and do to, to resolve that issue is, again, just writing it down. So, like, okay, I'm doing one job and I think I have to do another thing. So instead of holding that in my brain, I just jot it down somewhere on the kind of like weekly to-do list or whatever kind of sheet of paper you have lying around the place mm. just to get it out of your head because it's very difficult to keep it, keep all those things afloat, I suppose, in your head. So just getting it out of your head and knowing that I'll get to that now in a minute, but I'm just going to keep going back to this task. And it's it's a skill that you have to practice it. If, you know, it sounds easy, oh, yeah, grand, write it down and I'll come back to it. But, of course, we're so used to just getting sucked into the next task and doing so many different things at once yeah. that it is a skill to practice. And that's why I say to people, don't try to do it all at once. Don't try take a single-tasking approach to your entire day because yeah. it'll become really stressful. You'll keep failing and then you won't want to do it again. Yeah. So start small. You know, start with trying to not have your phone when you're eating your breakfast. Like, try to do one task on its own. (laughs) Mm. Because, you know, we're so busy all the time and we have so much information coming at us all the time that, like, I've often sat there and and been answering emails while eating my breakfast and then I've finished my breakfast and I won't even remember that I've eaten my breakfast. You know what I mean? So just start small. Like, I think small changes have huge impacts. Like, in a busy day, for example, trying to work from home, uh, keep a couple of kids pacified and and possibly maybe even educated at the same time yeah. is it is it a good plan and you've got a partner who's coming and going thinking that you've got nothing to do yeah. um, <laughs> is it a good plan to write down say three things and say these are my priorities that are to be done today everything yeah. else takes second place 
I think so, yeah. I think otherwise it can become very overwhelming. I think your intentions for the day or your priorities or whatever you want to call them, get them down on paper. If you get them done, well, then it's a successful day. If you get extra done, amazing. But like these are the three kind of core things that I need to get done today. We put ourselves under ferocious pressure to be doing so much and like just bring it back. What are the basics? What are the priorities? What can I do this morning? And I even say to people as well, you know, I don't know if you've heard of the 25 minute on, five minute off rule. You know, oh, you're trying to get there, into help this. me there, go on. Sounds good though. <laughs> Sounds good. If you want to get something done and you want to focus on this kind of single tasking idea, like set yourself up for it. Set a timer for 25 minutes. Put your phone out of reach. And I mean out of reach now. I don't mean just put it down because you will pick it up. If it's out of reach, it's difficult to pick up. Put your put a timer on for 25 minutes. And for those 25 minutes, just focus on one task. That's it. One task. And you'd actually be surprised at how much you'll get done if you just focus on that one task and nothing else and have your phone out of reach. Then your alarm goes off and you have five minutes to check an email or, you know, do all the things <laughs> that you're so used to doing all at once. So just 25 minutes on, five minutes off. Okay. And it's it's actually so effective. I, I do it myself all the time and I, I suggest it to clients all the time and people have amazing results with it. Something so simple. Come come back to the distractions for five minutes every every half an hour or something. But then again, you get the message in like this, and I think Jar Jar is very typical here. He says single tasking is not a luxury afforded to moms who work, homeschool, not to mention meals, laundry, making beds, and any personal athletic training they choose to have. I am a serial multitasker, and I'm sorry, it works. It's a sink or swim scenario. Says Jer. Now it sounds to me like Jer seems to see a pile of ironing in the corner and go, "If I don't do that right now, someone's going to give out to me." My attitude <laughs> is, "Screw the ironing! It's past ironing time. Screw the ironing." Or um, let them iron yeah, their own well, blasted shorts. I mean, I suppose there's. Um, I, I mean, I can see Jer's point. Uh, I absolutely can. Uh, but I suppose, yeah, sometimes maybe do you just need to park things and think if I have to leave the ironing there. Is that a huge deal? And why is this expectation, why am I placing this expectation on me that I have to do everything all at once? Now, easy for me to say I don't have children. Mm. (laughs) So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to offend anyone. But um, I suppose, like, nobody, maybe maybe people can um, improve on multitasking, but there is so much research to say that it's not effective. And that the quality of what you're doing isn't what it what it could be if you were just focusing on one task, and that you actually will get more done if you just focus on one task at a time. And I know it sounds it sounds kind of I don't know like a contradiction. You know, if you do one thing at a time, you'll actually get more done. But I mean, that's just not me saying that. That is so much research saying that. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it makes common sense too. I mean, like. You don't try and drive the car and and say, oh, if we're on, you don't try and drive, drive the car and, and read your email at the same time. Exactly. You're not even yeah. allowed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a reason you're not allowed, PJ. Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I like very much like where you're going with this, Anna, because I think we've multitasking is put down there on people's CVs as being mm. a great multitasker. 
A badge of honour, yeah. Yeah, as if, you know, give me 101 things to do and I'll do them all. It doesn't matter if yeah. I'm going out of here like I've been through three rounds with, with Conor McGregor at the end yeah. of the day, mentally and physically, but I'll get them done. Who cares? Just do the job yeah. to hand and do it well. Yeah, and you know, like I said a while ago, the more you multitask, the more you take on. Yes. So the more you're never actually finished your to-do list. And like, dare I say it, we're not superheroes. Like, it's a it's a damaging narrative, I think, you know, to say that you can do it all. Like, yeah, maybe you can do it all, but you can't do it all at once. And you can't do it all as well as doing it bit by bit, or two bits by two bits, or three bits by three bits. Yeah. Pick little bite-sized chunks. Exactly. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Which is a great way to leave it. Anna, <laughs> thank you very much. You are so welcome. Thank you for having me, PJ. Cheers. That's Anna Lehan. Stop trying to do everything at once. Do you know the thing that gets to me, right? Now, she stopped doing it because I sort of couldn't hack it anymore. But there was a, and there was a time when the Queen Bee used to do it. She doesn't do it at all. But something I notice, and I don't wish to be sexist for a moment, but I think it's, it's, it's a woman thing, that at night, okay, kids are fed, maybe even gone to bed, telly is on, and it's time to stop. Like, is there a time to stop in your house that nothing gets started that's work or cleaning or DIY or anything? Nothing should get started after, for argument's sake, the dinner. I still know of people who will start brushing a floor at 11 o'clock at night or mopping a floor at 11 o'clock at night. That's crackers. That's bonkers. Stop. It'll still be there in the morning. Stop. You're not doing any good. Oh, not a woman thing. Someone here will do washing at 10 o'clock. Terry will do washing at 10 o'clock. Are you off your game, man? 10 o'clock at night, he'll do the washing. I suppose then again, I'll clean the kitchen before I go to bed. It's one of the last things I do at night before I go to bed is clean the kitchen because I don't like coming down to a dirty kitchen in the morning. But at the same time, you've got to have a stop time. It's not good for you to be going all the time. 1850 Oh, on Evie from New Zealand. Dolores said, great to hear Evie on this morning. She looked after my son in the Cork Spastic Clinic. He just celebrated his 40th birthday this month. I'll be forever grateful to her for the great start she gave him back in the 80s. I often thought of her over the years. She was a lovely, confident person. Yeah. And before anyone rings in to say... You called it the Cork Spastic Clinic. That's not good. You can't be saying that. That's what it was called when Evie worked there. Thank you, Dolores. 1850. 715. Bev mops her floor at night so it's lovely and clean in the morning. Yeah. And then one of the kids drops toast on it. Face down. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Bev mops her floor at night, like we said, that it's lovely and clean in the morning. Monica will hoover at midnight. I can't help myself. Monica, I divorce you. Or I take the fuse out of the plug. She hoovers at midnight. Tell PJ there's morning people and evening people. Night owls like me. I find I can really finish a job like laundry in the evening. But if it's creative work, maybe mid-afternoon is best. Everyone's different. Absolutely, that's correct. 
but I'm talking about having a stop time. As in, if you've been up since 8, 9, 10 o'clock in the morning or whatever, have a stop time. There's, there's no point in starting something at 11 o'clock at night. Sit down, watch the deli, read a book. 1850-715-996. This Saturday, Trevor Welsh back on 96fm.ie with the Premier League Live, exclusively online and powered by TalkSport. This Saturday, Trevor's got a great lineup. Leicester against Liverpool at 12.30. Crystal Palace versus Burnley at 3. Manchester City against Tottenham at half five. And Brighton against Aston Villa at 8. It's the Premier League Live online with Now TV, streaming all the action from Sky Sports on the Now TV Sky Sports Pass. And listen Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie for great matches with Trevor and Co. This afternoon, download the app or go online to 96FM.ie. And if you download the app, that's also where you get our podcast every day. Uh, usually up there by mid-afternoon, if you missed anything during the morning. Is there an airport nearby, or is that my heart taking off? Oh, my God. Is your name Google? Because you've got everything I've been searching for. Sweetest God. I was walking down the road one day. I looked at a man. I thought I knew him, but didn't know him. He said to me, do you know my face? Would you like to? Oh, please. Do I know you? Because you look a lot like my next girlfriend. Can I follow you home? (laughs) My mother always told me, follow my dreams. I wasn't planning to go swimming today. But seeing your blue eyes, I just need to dive. Oh, God. Oh, God. I think we've chosen a winner. We'll, we'll, um, We'll call that winner in a little while. So be sitting by your phone. But speaking of... Strange things you say to people to pick them up. It's all part of the language of love. There's a book, a very detailed book, by a guy called Gary Chapman. Uh, Tells us there are five languages of love. Five languages of love. Which is interesting because, you know, a lot of people just barely speak one language. But no, there are five languages to love and it's a whole sort of a skill set in itself. We should never forget that. Annie Lavin, the relationship coach, joins me. Annie, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Good to talk to you. Five languages of love. Yes. Yes, so it's 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 centered around the idea that not everyone experiences love in the same way. So if you're the type of person that experiences love, let's say through touch, so you, you know, you might be really fond of hugs, but yet your partner might might not receive it that way, they probably won't feel that sense of connectedness through the relationship if the only way that you're demonstrating love is is, is through um through touch. So there's there's four other ways, and and even at this time, you know, coming into Valentine's, people can can think that the only way that they can show or demonstrate their love is through gifts. And again, Gary Chapman has identified this as only one way that we receive love. Mm. So um, the he, there are five, is, aren't there? He says, and this is a book he wrote back in 1992. Touch, mm-hmm. like you said, gifts. Words of affirmation, quality time and acts of service. Let's work through them. We know what, obviously, gifts and Valentine's Day is a lot about that. Talk to me about words of affirmation. Mm. So words of affirmation are are ways in which you um, can tell your partner how you love them or why they're dear to you. So you you can 
share those words in any, any any manner of ways. You know, you can say them to your partner, you could write them down in a letter, in a card, you could send them via text. Um, but there's lots of people whose who's real sense of, oh, I'm so connected to you when I hear this or when I read this, they'll be able to identify themselves as, oh, this is mine. This is definitely my love language. And you might know this from your partner. So let's say every year you might give a gift on an anniversary or birthday or whatever it might be. And your partner, the first thing that they might do is they might go to the card first. They're really interested in what you've written. So words that you speak or that you share with them about about why they're dear to you is really interesting to them. It's how they, it's how they feel love. Quality time is obviously speaks for itself, but speak for it for a second. What is quality time? Is it watching the TV or is it just sitting down and going over the day together? What is it? Generally, people who identify with with this one, they want undivided attention. So sitting down with the TV won't be that. It might be that we, we, we get out of the house together and we go for a walk. It might be that we dedicate this evening's dinner to putting phones aside and sitting down and, and really speaking to one another. So it's the undivided attention piece that's interesting about quality time. And what's acts of service then? That sounds a bit like something... That, that's the one of the five that I said, well, what does that mean? Yeah, very simply, PJ, that could be taking out the bins for somebody. Uh, that could be doing any little job that kind of eases the burden of responsibility on, uh, from your partner. So you may know what kind of responsibilities they have on at the moment and you might be able to say, listen, I can see you're really busy at the minute. Can I, can I do something to help out? So that doing is 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 um is the piece there that some people would really really appreciate much more than kind words much more than a gift that you can actually do something take the pressure off to help me out to take the pressure off exactly yeah yeah of course that's the one that starts arguments in some houses you know in that um mm-hmm. well can I do anything for you look around you is the answer you get <laughs> instead of well actually you can you might do that for me or do that for me. That communication can be difficult. Look around you. Yes, yes. You just brought me right back to my old, um, my my home, uh, my my old family of origin. That's an expression that I haven't heard in a while, but it brings me right back there. Yeah. So so people aren't mind readers. Um, sometimes we have to um, ask, but ask in a way that the other person can hear. So instead of instead of pointing the finger of blame or looking at. The, maybe the, the huge array of mess that's around you is asking for one thing to be done and having your partner hear that and do that is, is a huge, um, can can really demonstrate how much the person cares. Okay, all right. I like that last one, Anne, in particular. That's great. Anne Levin, Annie Levin, the relationship coach on the five languages of love, this idea that it's not all about hearts and flowers and chocolates and things like that, but it's about physical touch. It's about receiving quality time, spending quality time together, words of affirmation. Now ah, you're great. Listen, you're great. But this acts of service one. I love that last bit. 1850-715-996. Briefly, Elaine, good morning. Hi, PJ. How are you? What is the line? 
Um, do you know CPR because you're taking my breath away? Oh, it's as cheesy. <laughs> it's as cheesy as a burger from a van in Crosshaven. But you know what? I love it. You're today's winner with Clayton Hotel. You can use it whenever the place Yay. is open. All right? Thank you so much. You Cheers, Elaine. We'll do it again tomorrow. The program edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. And we'll see you tomorrow just after night. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.